Welcome to Christian Assembly, a family church. Since 1930, we've been serving the communities of Western Pennsylvania, Ohio, and West Virginia with the good news of Jesus Christ. With over 40 years of Bible teaching and ministry experience, Pastor Bill brings faith-filled revelation from God's Word. We believe with you, wherever you are, that God will inspire and change your life through the following teaching. For more information about Christian Assembly, follow us on social media or visit our website at cafamily.net. All right, uh, Mark 16. I think we probably know it well. If not, we can, uh, you can look it up, maybe at a later time. I'm not going to go through the whole thing, maybe quote a little bit of it. Talks about going to all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believes and is baptized shall be saved. He that believes not shall be damned. But these signs, these signs shall follow them that believe. Do you believe tonight? Did it say that if you're an apostle, they'll follow you? A prophet, they'll follow you? It just says if you're a believer and you believe, these signs shall follow them that believe. And who's saying this, Jesus? But what are the signs? Those that believe on his name, in my name, they shall cast out devils. They shall speak with new tongues. They shall take up serpents. If they drink any deadly thing, it will not hurt them. They shall lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. And they went forth and they preached everywhere. The Lord working with and confirming the word with signs following. So that's called the Great Commission. And after the resurrection of Jesus, of course, he, before he ascended on high, he gave this great commission to the church to continue his works that he began when he was here on the earth. Can you imagine being the generation privileged to do that? Before that, there was no commission for all the lay people to go out there and do these works of Jesus. But think about it. Ever since his resurrection, thank God every single one of us has been empowered and also given the power of attorney to use his name to do what? As an ambassador, represent him on this earth and carry out this great commission, doing all those works in his name. So in your first word, your first word there, after the resurrection, the church continued the healing ministry of Jesus. And they did so, how? By bringing the compassion of Jesus. Compassion of Jesus. To the sick. Just as Jesus did. Do you remember Matthew 14, 14, where it says that he saw, oh, so many were sick? He was moved with what? Compassion to heal them. He wasn't just trying to show who he was. He was compassionate. And that means he had sympathy towards someone who was suffering, coupled with a yearning, burning desire to do what? Alleviate it. Get rid of it. That's what he was committed to. Well, these disciples did exactly that. They continued his work. And we're going to give you a brief history that's post-Scripture, the writing of Scripture, about the healing ministry to show us how things declined and then how, praise God, as a result of the power of God manifesting at Azusa Street, they were once again resurrected. So, in Acts chapter 3, again, too much to read, but I'll just briefly share with you. You know the story Peter and John were about to go into the temple, being the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And there was a man that was lame from his mother's womb, was carried, lay there at the gate of the temple, called Beautiful, asking alms of those that were going into the temple, who, seeing Peter and John, fastened his eyes on them and said, 
Peter passed his eyes and said, Silver and gold have I not, but such as I have, I'm giving you. Think about that. I may not have a lot of money, but I got something that money cannot buy. You've got something, I've got something, we have something that money cannot buy. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand, lifted him up, and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. And he, leaping up, walked and entered into the temple, walking and leaping and praising God. There was a great, you know, move that took place right then. Uh, but then, when they tried to exalt Peter, Peter just said, look, don't look on us as if by our own power or holiness we've done such a thing. But I want you to know that his name, through faith in his name, has made this man strong whom you see and you know who he is. It's faith in that name that gave him this perfect soundness in the presence of you all. So, they continued the work of healing, the work of Jesus, the ministry of Jesus, healing people. But they were also moved with the same compassion that he had. And that's a secret ingredient that needs to be manifested in and through every person who really desires to pray for people to receive their healing. So in Acts chapter 3 here, under point A, Peter gave the beggar something money cannot buy. He brought him God's love and compassion that resulted in healing. He brought him love and compassion. He wasn't looking to condemn the individual. He wasn't looking to say, why did this happen to you? Whose fault was it and all that? He just had compassion. And also they understood the power of the name of Jesus. And gave what they had. And the man was free. In Mark's gospel chapter 6 verses 12 and 13. You'll see. They went about preaching. And notice here in your notes. You can just write your words in. They preached the need to. Number one. Repent. To the people. And also they expelled demons. Or cast out demons. And number three. They anointed the sick with oil. And healed them. So here in these couple of verses. We see. Something extremely important that sometimes is missing even today. And that is number one, got them to repent. Repent. It means to have a change of heart and mind. And making a decision to turn from a certain way of living to follow another way of living. And so they repented. And in some cases before the healing power of God can actually be released into a person's life... Sometimes, in some cases, repentance is absolutely necessary. If someone is holding ought or bitterness and resentment towards somebody, then it's going to short-circuit the power of God that's trying to enter into that person's body to deliver and set them free. But when there's repentance and we recognize the need to say, hey, I'm sorry for what I've done or whatever it might be, whatever the case is, holding animosity against somebody, having bitterness against somebody, etc., or even just anything personal in our own life, Repentance is absolutely necessary to make a change of heart. But then he expelled demons and they anointed the sick with oil. So this was a practice in the church. You can see this in James. Your next set of scriptures in point C. Anointing the sick with oil for healing was a normal part of the early church life. It was common that they would do that. It was a normal part of it. 
Is any sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church. Let them pray for them, anointing with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith shall save the sick, and the Lord shall raise them up. And if they have committed sins, they will be forgiven them. Confess your faults one to another. Pray for one another. For the effectual, heartfelt, fervent prayer of a righteous man makes tremendous power available, dynamic in its working. So we're setting the stage right here to show you what was normal. And, and in your notes here, it was normal, part of early church life. And then the book of Acts really records many healings that took place. You can read that in the very first few chapters of the book of Acts. We see multitudes of people coming and being healed by the power of God. And so we see a continuation of the ministry of Jesus and bringing healing and health to those people that were in need. But then something happens. Under point two, notice post-scripture history takes place. Healing was a normal part of, the early, of early Christianity that resulted in Rome converting to Christianity. Did you realize that? The miracles that took place got the attention of Constantine. And all these things that took place among the people resulted in Rome then becoming a Christian, you could say, nation. Okay? Through the supernatural healing ministry, many became Christians. Under point B, during the 300s, now in the first 300 years, it was, I don't want to say easy, but probably easier to get people healed. It was fresh. They understood the power of the name. They knew the power of attorney. The Spirit of God was moving in a powerful way. People's lives were being touched and changed. For 300 years, this was dominant within the church. But then things began to shift. So during the 300s, a shift of thought began taking place. Healing testimonies were used to prove the divine origin of Christianity but God's compassion for hurting people was lost. Under point C, Augustine in 380 was taught not to pray for healing. But later in his retractions, he experienced healing and affirmed its validity. Isn't it something you can preach one thing until you get sick, and then when you get sick... It's so good to be healed. I never heard anybody sing, it's so good to be sick. It's so good to be sick. It's so good to be sick. Right? I don't believe anybody likes being sick. Does anybody like being sick? No, absolutely not. Well, then all of a sudden he gets healed and all of a sudden it's too. But look at another point D. By the year 400, physical healing was no longer understood as an invitation to wholeness. But as a distraction from it. It's secondary. It's not necessary. And then under point E, Pope Gregory the Great in the year 600 taught bodily sickness as God's way of chastening his children. You see how far these roots go back? You see how the enemy has done his job to see to it that he would instill mindsets that would make it very difficult for people to receive from God? Remember, that's his job, is to deceive people and get them to believe the wrong thing. So by the year 400 or 600, bodily sickness is, is God's chastening, and it's not true. In the 700s, anointing with oil for healing was not permitted to be done by lay people. It was not permitted to be done by lay people. Only bishops and priests 
were allowed to do so. That was it. And only for the healing of the soul, not for the body. Isn't that sad? You think about the sacrifice that Jesus made. You think about the stripes that he bore. You think about the Lord, the Father, Jehovah, laying on him, not just the iniquity of us all, but the stripes that he laid upon him. I don't know about you, but I long for the day to be able to really possibly see exactly all that took place when Jesus died for us. Wouldn't that be something to behold? You know, we're so caught up in the physical round that we, the Roman lictor, with the stripes they put upon his back. 39 stripes. And, you know, remember, Paul had that five times. And three times beaten with rods. I don't believe it was just those 39 stripes that came from the Roman lictor. It pleased Jehovah to bruise him. He made him to be sick. The fullness of the wrath of God was poured out on our Savior and Redeemer. We can't even begin to understand or have a revelation of the sin of the world being heaped upon one person's being. And then the stripes that he bore as the Father Jehovah laid on him this iniquity, laid on him this sickness and disease, the mental anguish, the full brunt of the curse is just heaped on him so that by his stripes we could be healed. And what are they doing? They're beginning to minimize what Jesus did and saying it's only for the soul and not for the physical body. Well, your words here, by the 800s, the anointing sacrament uh, was done only just before death. It wasn't done to provide healing. Now they're anointing just people before they die. I guess to give them a better send-off, whatever the mentality is behind that. Okay? The healing ministry Jesus commissioned was almost, almost lost. You know, sometimes it's hard to us to relate to something like that, but you realize this. Things can be lost. The baptism in the Holy Spirit as a time when the Bible was set aside and people weren't exposed to Pentecostalism. What happened? They stopped praying in tongues, speaking in tongues, and as they were filled with the Holy Ghost and fire, it's something that can be lost. And in many cases, in, in certain let's say groups, it has been lost. It got to the place where many thought that if you pray in tongues, you know, it's demonic. And they won't even preach it. These gifts have ceased, they've gone away, and all that. But that's not true. Well, thank God for those that were willing to fight the fight of faith and get the revelation that was necessary. Under point G, by the 1100s, anointing for healing became something called extreme unction. Extreme unction. And once again, being anointed at the time of death. And by the 1500s, Calvin taught, since... since cessationism that healing ended with the death of the last apostle the last apostle once the last apostle died well that doesn't even make any sense when you read the book of Acts and you see that all these others were still healing the sick and all that but they weren't apostles they were lay people 
And they were praying for the sick and they were being healed and so on. But you see, this once again is the work of the adversary to do what? To see to it that what the people believed was wrong. Because if they believe the wrong gospel, they're going to practice the wrong gospel. They're going to buy into it. And what was Paul's number one concern, a major concern that he had? That as Satan deceived Eve, so would his, God's people be deceived by the subtlety of this enemy. And you can see these educated people are fall, falling victim to this kind of teaching and mentality. Oh, it's all ended now because the disciple, last disciple or apostle died, and so therefore it's not for today. He also taught that demons were banished after the resurrection and the church no longer needed deliverance. Wow, isn't that something? They were banished. Where'd they go? We're told when they are cast out, they go into seek, uh, dry places seek and rest and finding none, and they're going right back to the house that they got booted out of. Right? Isn't that what Jesus taught? Right? They're not banished somewhere. They no longer are interfering with humanity. Didn't they read their Bible? Don't they know Satan's going to be loosed even after a thousand years to try to wreak havoc with those that didn't have an opportunity to be tempted by him? Read it. I mean, that's what it says. But yet, they bought the lie, and as a result, they preached it. So, this belief greatly influenced, now notice this, Baptists, Presbyterian, and even Evangelicals were influenced by this teaching. Well, there's no such thing as a demon anymore. They're all cast aside somewhere or bound somewhere. They're not interfering with humanity. Really? If you could believe that, look in the world, my goodness. In 1770, David Hume declared the miracles of Jesus never occurred. We're talking about major influential people, philosophers, etc., etc., intellectuals, and they're propagating all this. They're sharing all this and and infiltrating people's minds with all this. But the church is buying into it. And see, they never occurred. And the Gospels are not really true. So by 1900, the Christian healing ministry was all but dead. Now that's what people have dealt with. Can you imagine living at that time when all that was going on, all that teaching was going on? And you're not exposed to anything but that? kind of teaching and trust me the laity these people believed their leaders they believe these people in offices of authority and as a result where's faith to receive healing from the Lord there isn't any because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of almighty God and if that's what they're listening to obviously there's not going to be any faith but then under point three something happened the Azusa Street Revival Led by Brother William J. Seymour in 1906 and lasted through 1915, it was characterized by spiritual gifts, is your word, amazing physical healings, and many signs, wonders, and miracles. I'm telling you, there were people that were drawn there. Oh, they thought that they were, imagine this. In this Azusa Street Revival, you've got reporters there. You've got all kind of personnel that are there. You've got skeptics that are there. You've got scoffers that are there. People from various backgrounds. And one aptly put it this way. He walked in a skeptic or an atheist. 
And when you got into the house, the glory of God fell on you. And you walked out the door, born again, spirit filled, faith walking, tongue talking, armor bearing, healed, delivered, set free, devil resistant child of Almighty God. Who can withstand that? Like Peter said at Cornelius' house, who was I? Who was I to stand against God? To challenge God? You can't. Right. And so they had a change of heart and a change of mind. So, healings is your next word. Physical healings and many signs. It revived the Pentecostal movement and was the primary catalyst for the spread of Pentecostalism in the 20th century. Isn't that amazing? Oh, this thing lasted and all kinds of things took place and all kinds of miracles reported just amazing. And the influence just spread like a wildfire throughout the entirety you know, of the nation and reaching other places in Canada and that sort of thing. But just like we, when Brother Will presented um, the history of our church, it goes back to the Azusa Street Revival when they came from there to here and it's, you know, how it's a snowball effect. And so we thank God for that. So here, everybody's thinking that we're the crazy ones. Someone asked me today, you know, uh, uh, about the beginning. And I said, well, the beginning, Christianity, they were Pentecostals. What? They were Pentecostals. Well, what do you mean? Well, what day was the church born, supposedly? The day of Pentecost. Right? So they were Pentecostals. The fire of God came on them. They were filled with the Holy Ghost. They spoke with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So that was normal. That was normal. That wasn't crazy. That wasn't demonic. That was God instituting, actually initiating something on His own in the camp of the Jew and the camp of the Gentile at Cornelius' house. And guess what? God knows what He's doing. And Cornelius was the one. He knows. And Cornelius was the one who knew this. And Cornelius knew. He was the Son of God. Yes, he sure did. Amen. <laughs> all right. Now, under point four, I think you all would agree with me this evening. Jesus has never changed. <laughs> Hebrews 13, 8 tells us Jesus the same yesterday, today, and forever. Amen. Has he ever changed? No, but all this history from the day of Pentecost up until this point that we're talking about right here in 1906, Jesus has always been the same, but man hasn't been the same. So let's look at some of these words. Man's view under point A, man's views change, don't they? Man's views change. Next, man's thinking changes. But Jesus is always the same. Hallelujah. You talk about a constant. <laughs> he just doesn't change. We can. He was a healer. He is the healer. He will always be the healer. Can somebody say amen to that? But look at along the journey. All the ways that man's thinking, man's views have changed. Now you can see how the enemy did his job to what? Blind people's mind. 
from seeing the truth. That's the only way he could possibly do it. Now remember, Jesus said that when anybody hears the truth of God's word, what happens? He comes immediately to steal the word. It's all about the word. The seed of God's word from the heart and life of a person. Why? So it doesn't produce any results. And that's exactly what he did over the years. People fell victim to it. Well, and their point B, he is just as compassionate today as he was when he walked the earth. And as when he walked the earth, he wants us healthy, healed, and strong, just like he did then. He's not changed. And he's never going to change. And why is this important? Because that's the only way we're going to have a strong faith. When we truly understand the mind and will of God. Jesus wasn't put through all what he was put through. So that someone can come along and just say, well, he might not want to heal you. Or he's just teaching you a lesson. You can be a better Christian by suffering for Jesus. Sickness. Now, we suffer persecution, tribulation, and affliction. We understand all that. But this is a faith and healing class. We're talking about sickness and disease. It's not God's design. Now, of course, if someone is living in sin, as in Acts chapter, I mean, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, we understand that they could be judged and turned over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. But remember, that's Satan. It's not God. And why? So his spirit would be saved in the day of the Lord. That's why. So, in 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 3, powerful verse, he talks about grace and peace being multiplied to us through the knowledge of God and Jesus our Lord. Grace and peace can be multiplied as we gain knowledge and understanding. He gave us precious promises that by these precious promises, we escape the corruption that is in the world through lust. In Christ Jesus, we've been given so much. I don't know that we've scratched the surface of all the things that we have truly in Christ Jesus our Lord. I have not seen nor ear heard, neither has entered the heart of man the things that God has provided for them to love him. But now, but now is time. I was about to say that. <laughs> but, but... <laughs> Thank you, Aaron. God has revealed them to us by His Spirit. He's given us a glimpse of the things that belong to us. Can you imagine if we strip this flesh of ours away like Paul said, this earth suit, this tent that is covering up the Shekinah glory on the inside of us? Can we begin to imagine how the glory of God emanating from our spirit being then would touch our physical bodies and bring them health and life? Paul said, my desire is this. Not that I just necessarily leave and go and be with him, but while I'm here, that my flesh is consumed with the glory of Almighty God. Just pouring out of me. Flooding my soul, my body, completely whole. Romans 8, 11 is the verse. If the spirit of him that raised up Christ from the dead dwell in you <laughs> then he that raised up Christ from the dead Jesus shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his spirit who dwells in 
you. Why are we looking out there when we got so much in here? Can you say amen? Imagine it. We've got so much on the inside of us right here. We start looking within and start declaring it. Greater is he that's in me than he that's in this world. Oh, I've got so much in me, praise God, that he... Okay, God has gone through, in your next two words, are great lengths. Great lengths. To purchase our freedom from spiritual death and to give us eternal life. Oh, you talk about going through hoops. We can't once again begin to even comprehend what I'm about to say. How does the second person of deity, the creator of the universe, creator of heaven, earth, sea, and all that in them is, who without him was not made anything made that was made, who is the force behind all of creation, who's named all the stars, who knows the number of sand along the seashore and the hairs on your head, how does he enter into a womb the world can't contain him. The universe can't contain him. But he enters the womb of a woman and robes himself in flesh. You talk about great lengths. And then he is born. In this realm in which we live, a creation that he created. And he walks upon this earth that he created. The creator becoming a part of his created the highest of his creation being man, but he identifies with man, robes himself with the same flesh of man, but yet one thing is different. His blood flow. Oh, you talk about the right blood type. What blood type do you have? Oh, forget whatever you got, O positive, whatever it might be. You got the blood of Jesus flow through your face. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Redeemed blood. Aren't you glad for that? Yes. He did that. He became a man. He walks on the earth. And then he walks as no man walks. And did as no man did. And acts as no man act. Performed like no man performed. Even the very creation itself bowed to his words. Peace be still. Instant calm. Body parts be recreated. Withered hand. Stretch it forth. Healed. Run Lazarus. Come forth. Wow. Even the wind, the sea, and waves obey him? What manner of man is this? How do we explain that? And then he goes to a cross where he suffers and dies. And then he takes on the wrath of God. And then he's in the, his body's in the tomb for three days. And, and then his soul, his body, his spirit and soul is raised up from the dead on the third day. Uh, how do we explain this? You talk about great lengths to do this for us. If we thought if we thought about the suffering of him beyond our comprehension, the fullness of the wrath of God, the full wrath of God on him. Why? To free us. Along with our freedom, God has given us all things, are your next two words, that pertain to life and godliness. All things he's given us and Precious promises. He's given us all these things. Plus precious promises. That must be received by faith. That must. 
Everybody say must. Must. See, we must be born again. We must receive by faith. The only access we have to the grace of God. In Romans chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by which also we have access into this grace wherein we stand. We stand in this grace of God, and the access that we have to it is an access of faith. It takes faith to activate it, faith to receive it, faith to walk in it. So all we receive from God comes by grace through faith. Next two words, grace through faith. Yeah, we don't deserve it. Your next word. Anybody here deserve it? Yeah. Nobody deserves it. We can't earn it. It's a provision that must be received in order to be experienced. Have you received Jesus? Yes. Then you're experiencing him in your life, right? Has your life been changed ever since you received Jesus? Yes. Absolutely. Are you walking to a different drumbeat ever since you made Jesus your Lord and Savior? Absolutely. Why? Because you received Him. Before I received Him, I had no idea what it meant to be a Christian. I was around a lot of religion, but I didn't know what it meant to be a Christian and have a relationship with Almighty God. And a lot of the things that I was told about Christianity kind of baffled my mind. But you know what? One day I received him as my savior. And when I did, oh, everything changed. Hallelujah. I received him and he came in. And when he did, praise God, I was a changed human being. So we have access. We access God's grace by faith. As your next word, we access God's grace by faith. It's the throne of grace. What? Do we need from the throne of grace? Well, it doesn't matter what it is. You access it by faith. A person that needs saved, he has to get saved by grace through faith. So, in John's Gospel, chapter 1, verses 10 through 12, I won't, once again, we don't have to turn to it. You can look them up later. Use it for a Bible study for yourself. But you know what they say. He went to his own. But his own just owned him. His own received him not. Notice the word received his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them gave he the power to become the sons of Almighty God. You see, we can receive him or not receive him. The choice is ours. So in your notes here, it just says, the choice is ours. We can receive or not receive. The decision is ours to make. So we're talking about now, by faith I access salvation by receiving Him as my Savior. I receive you, Jesus, into my heart. I receive you as my Savior. I receive you as my Lord. Until I said those words, no matter what I said, I was not a Christian. I was not born again, washing the blood of the Lamb. But one day someone told me, you've got to make Him your Savior. You've got to make Him your Lord. You've got to receive Him into your heart. Confess Him with your mouth. And guess what I did? Exactly that. And when I did... My part, God did His part. I accessed saving grace, and praise God, I got saved. So in Ephesians 2.8, by grace, so you saved through faith, that not of yourself, is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So your, your, notes, your words and your notes here, we are saved by grace through faith. That's simple. We are saved by grace through faith. So it took faith to activate it. It took faith to receive it. Okay, we access God's saving grace through faith. Same words, by grace through faith. Galatians chapter 3 and verses 2 and 14, same thing. We receive the Spirit by grace through faith. 
How do we receive the Spirit? We receive them by works that we do? Absolutely not. It's by grace through faith that we receive the ministry of the Holy Spirit. That's why when I tell people to say, you receive, I believe I receive, I believe I receive, I receive, I receive the Holy Ghost. Keep saying it, I receive the Holy Ghost. You know what? You're going to start getting something. Because when you start saying you receive, I receive, everything has been already given to us. All we've got to do is receive it. So I receive it. Number three, whether we're receiving salvation, the Spirit, healing, or any other promise, we must receive by faith. We must receive by faith. So if we want healed, you know what? We've got to get to a place that you say, that I say, I receive it. I receive it. And this idea, well, how do you feel? How do you, I receive my healing. What? I receive my healing. Are you one of those fanatics? Absolutely. I receive my healing. I believe I receive my healing. Jesus said, whatever I desire when I pray, believe I receive them and I shall have them. The believing I receive is first, the having is second. I believe I receive. I believe I receive. I believe I receive. I believe I receive. I just believe I receive. We're doing our part when we do that. We're acting in faith. We're accessing grace by faith to receive healing, to have healing. So, we must receive by faith. In James chapter 1, and beginning at verse 5. Anybody lack wisdom? Let him ask of God, who gives to all men liberally, and upbraideth not. Doesn't find fault with their asking, but let him ask in faith. Nothing wavering, for he that wavers is as the wave of the sea, driven with the wind and tossed. Let not that man think he shall receive, receive anything. Wow. Anything? Anything. Did you say anything? No, he did. Anything. Let not that man think he shall receive anything of the Lord. Because a double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. What's James telling us? We got a great giver. We got a perfect giver. As a matter of fact, he went on to say, every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights. It's from above, comes down from the Father of lights, with whom there's no variable, not even a shadow of turning. So let no man say, God's not the one who's withholding. We're not receiving. We got to become better receivers of what God has given. Yes, Lord, because you have not. You have not because you ask not, right? Right, Aaron. Anyhow, we've got to receive what God has given. And He's given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. He's given us joy unspeakable and full of glory. He's given us healing and health and wholeness and soundness of mind. He has given us all that we need, but it's up to us to receive it by faith. So we can't receive, in number four, we can't receive what God has not given. I want to clarify that one. We can't receive what God hasn't given. If God hasn't given it, how can I receive it? But you can receive what God has given. Well, what has he given us? Behold, I give you power and authority over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Behold, I give you, I give you, I give you. He gave them power over demons to cast them out and power to cure the sick. Did you notice that in Luke's Gospel, chapter 9, and others. 
I'm giving you power. I'm giving you authority. I'm giving you all things that pertain to life and godliness. I'm giving you whatever it is God has given us. We activate by faith. We can't receive something God hasn't given. And if he's given us authority, then we have it. I receive that and I'm walking in the light of it. And that's what God wants us to do. So that's why James is saying, look, don't, don't be wishy-washy with it. Don't vacillate back and forth. Don't let the enemy trick you into thinking that, well, maybe it's for somebody else and not for you. It's for every single one of us. Healing is, is God's provision for all of us. We can't receive what God hasn't given. And next, healing is one of God's provisions that has already been given to us in the atonement. I like to, if, if God cringes, anybody think that God cringes? No, 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 no. Think about it. When someone says, but healing's not in the atonement and it's not for today. I can just see him just cringing. <laughs> you know where it says in the book of Psalms where it says smoke comes out of his nostrils? <laughs> mm-hmm. I, I can't even imagine it, how he gets so frustrated. Remember when Jesus was on the earth, he says, how long should I be with all of you people here? How long can I suffer you? Oh my goodness, unbelief, you're embalmed with it. What am I going to do? Remember he said that to them? And I'm paraphrasing, of course. My goodness, what about what his disciples, when he just got done feeding 5,000 people, right, with a boy's lunch. Either that kid was a big eater, or there was a miracle here, right? And so... They all sat down in groups of 50 or whatever, and then the food keeps multiplying and multiplying and multiplying and multiplying, and all of a sudden there's 12 baskets left over. How'd that happen? But there's 12 baskets left over, right? Then they get on their little boat, and they start going across the sea, and they say, well, he's mad because we didn't bring any bread. <laughs> he said, <laughs> he said, what's up? Can I paraphrase? What's the matter with you people? You saw me feed 5,000. You saw me feed the other 4,000. And, and you think I'm upset because you didn't bring a loaf of bread? All he would have to say is fish jump into the boat. And they would have. Do you see human nature? Oh, we could just, you know, if we can think this through, it's so easy for us to be full of doubt and unbelief. Because we are so accustomed to our five senses and what they dictate to us. And we need a weaning process from our feelings and emotions, which we all need that. But, once again, the provision is there. And, and Jesus was telling his disciples, I'm really having a problem with you people so full of doubt and unbelief when you saw what I've done and now you're criticizing me. Oh my goodness. And what about, I, I just talked to someone about this the other day. What about him sleeping during a hurricane? Can you imagine how big the swells must have been? Because they were skilled fishermen, right? So they knew how to use a boat. And they finally got to the point before they woke him up. Don't wake him up yet because, you know. But then all of a sudden they're going, we're perishing. We're going under. We're going down. It's probably time to go wake him up. He's a sound sleeper. Maybe he took some melatonin or something before he went to bed. I, I, I don't know. That, <laughs> whoa. How do you sleep when there's 30-foot swells 
Well, one did say on a leather pillow, so maybe the one translation says a leather pillow. Maybe that was it. I, I, I don't know. But they woke him up and just said, Don't you care that we're perishing? And he just, oh, Peace be still. Okay. And then they look at each other and they say, What kind of a man is this that he speaks and even the wind to see in the way they obey him, but yet we can't believe that he's going to feed us? Human nature. It's easy to do. In Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 12, it says, Be not slothful, but followers of them who through faith and patience inherit the promise. Remember that? Uh, time's escaping us. Let's get through this real quick. If we want Bible promises to manifest, is your word, in our lives, we must possess them through faith and patience. In Matthew 9, 29, Jesus said, According to your faith, be it unto you. So the statement of Jesus is as valid for us today as it was then. According to your what? Faith, be it unto who? You. We receive according to our faith. Patience is not just putting up with things. It's staying steady is your first word. Steady. Maintaining our course. Persevering, not growing weary, not quitting, or giving up. You know, it's just like, you know, we just had Hurricane Ida, right? Still around. And sometimes I just chuckle at the new, the uh, weather. The meteorologists, they're standing there with their garb on, right? <laughs> the wind is like, they're, they're, just, <laughs> they're trying to hold on to whatever they can hold on to. And this is like, why are you there? <laughs> We're, you're reporting live. Yes, in the eye of Hurricane Ida. Seriously? Why don't you go somewhere else and, and do this report? But it reminds me of patience. You stand there. And whether it's calm, sunny, windy, hurricane wind, or whatever it is, you just don't move. You stand there. That's what it means to persevere. Whether it's good, bad, indifferent, or whatever, I'm standing right here. Whether I see it, hear it, feel it, smell it, taste it, I'm standing right here. I believe I receive my healing. I believe I receive my healing. I believe I received. I received. I received. I received. We hold fast our confession of faith without wavering into the very end because we know that it will eventually manifest. So patience undergirds our faith while experiencing the time lapse between the promise and its fulfillment. I'll say that again. Patience undergirds our faith while experiencing the time lapse between the promise and the fulfillment. And the key is to persevere or be in patience, which means I'm standing no matter what it looks like Feels like, sounds like, etc. Okay. We see this also in Hebrews chapter 10, 35 and 36, where it talks about we have need of patience. We have need of patience. Why? So that we can inherit the promise. Without patience, you see, we don't inherit the promise. So patience is the key to receiving God's promises. So it requires faith and patience. The belief system has to be right, but then also we have to take the stand where our emotions are told, you are not in charge. Did you notice you have to tell that to your emotions once in a while? Mm-hmm. 
David said, I've got to be weaned from my emotions as a child is weaned from its mother. You are not in charge. Okay, so patience is the key. Under Romans 12, 3, we all have been given the measure of faith. Oh, thank God, we all have it. We're not trying to get it. We have the measure of faith. That measure is enough to give us victory over anything we face in this life. That's easier said than done, isn't it? Yes. But it is the truth. After we've done the will of God, which is releasing faith in the word and acting upon it, then patience supports our faith until the answer is manifested. Patience undergirds our faith. Peter lost his patience out there walking on the water. He changed because he was distracted by what he saw. And what happened? His faith that was in operation began to fail him and he began to sink. So patience is necessary to undergird our faith, which is why he, James said, it takes, and the writer of Hebrews said, it takes faith and patience working together to obtain the promise. And that's the key. So when it comes to all of us receiving by faith, of course it's by grace through faith, it takes faith and patience working together to receive our miracles. So let's all stand together.